Everybody, welcome to another installment of Show to Be with Mike D, the show of life, the show of RTDs, entrepreneurialism, and the ranch water cocktail. That's right, today we're talking to the founder of Ranch 2.0 Spirits, Amelia Latiri, about her life, how she got in the food industry, was working with some money, 7 Eleven, etc., etc. Great story, and it led to Ranch 2.0 Spirits. Now, I know. RTDs are a massive category, and they are growing more and more every day. I've been skeptical of the category. I don't particularly like White Claw. Sorry, everyone. But I tried, you know. I was on this call with Amelia, and I sat and I drank the ranch water, and God damn it, I liked it. So I was a little little surprised, and I'm equally impressed the fact they're using real tequila in there. So without further ado, I hope you guys enjoy this great chat with Amelia Latiri of Ranch 2.0 Spirits. She was an accountant and basically helped small businesses with their books so that every year they could take them to the CPA. Um, and now having to do my own books, I wish she were still here. <laughs> she passed away six years ago, but I'm like every day, I'm like, oh, I wish my mom were here to do this for me because it's a pain. Yeah, it's my least favorite part of, <laughs> of owning a business. Yeah, it's, it's not fun. But you know, Sometimes when we have such strong examples, it inspires us to be even more than we thought. When you went into these ventures, and we'll talk about kind of your, your litany of experience, but was she a source of pride, a source of inspiration as you kind of went on your own with Ranch Tool? Oh, a hundred percent. She, so my mom started her own business when I, I think was in middle school. And I remember asking her one day later in life, um, you know, what made you do that? What gave you the courage to start your own business? And she said, um, you know, I was tired of working for people who didn't understand that I wanted to be there for my kids and I didn't want to miss the important things. Um, and so I decided that I was going to make my own schedule. And, you know, then I asked, well, how did you have the courage to do that? You didn't have a you know, a spouse supporting you. You didn't have other income. And she said, well, I had two kids looking back at me that were hungry. And that was the drive that made me hungry to build a business. Um, and I love that because I think back to high school and I was, you know, a cheerleader and my sister did all kinds of stuff. And uh, I remember her being at my pep rallies. She was in the cafeteria lunchroom, ser- you know, serving a honor roll pizza, um, selling prom tickets. I remember those moments about about it. Instead of you know, my mom was always working; she couldn't be there for things. She set her own schedule, and uh, I love that. I mean, as an adult looking back, I just am so grateful that she was courageous enough. Yeah, which in, in you going out on your own, you have t- is it three kids or two kids? I have three kids, six, so four, and two. <laughs> some, some parallel, right? Yeah, and, yeah. And how do you, because I, I'm not a parent, so I always defer to people who have this, this plethora of experience, but how do you create that balance 
of being mm-hmm. a mom, but also being this a CEO, I believe, of this ready to drink, just an amazing product. How does that balance work for you? Oh, gosh. Um, it's, it's a fun balancing act for sure. Um, you know, because I have a corporate background, which we'll probably talk about later, but I was in the same situation. I was working all the time, traveling the country, and I just thought, man, I don't, this isn't the life I want to live. And this isn't the life I want my kids to see me living. Um, but now it's so fun because it's our company, it's our family business. And so it's just a way of life and everyday conversations. We're always talking about ranch to O and, um, you know, probably get in trouble for sharing this, but now my daughter, you know, she's got her little tea set and she'll bring it over and say, Hey mommy, I made you a ranch water. <laughs> like, oh God, bless you child. Um, so it's, it's, it's fun. Like as a, my kids, you know, they're young, they don't get what we're doing. And, um, what, you know, the day that it hit the market, I told them like, guys, mommy and daddy created this product and now we can go buy it at the stores and they couldn't have cared less. They were like, Oh, that's cool. (laughs) Um, You know, you know, the the funny part or the irony almost is you gave birth to kids creatively, but the real kids don't even, (laughs) it doesn't even resonate with them. They, I mean, like we kind of joke, like one day when you're in college, you'll be like, gosh, I were so cool back then. But, um, so, I mean, it's part of like, being a CEO of this business, my kids, they hear us talk about the company. They hear us talk about the challenges. Um, but they also, you know, they're sitting on the floor with me helping. We have little marketing boxes, which you probably got one. They like to help me put the boxes together and, you know, put the drinks in them. They think that's a lot of fun. So uh, I love that we're able to use them. They feel helpful in a meaningless way to them, really. Yeah. A, f- a full family affair, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but this story starts because you grew up in Midland, is that right? No, I grew up in Dallas, but oh, Dallas. my family, half my family is from West Texas. My mom grew up in a small town outside of Kermit, outside of, I'm sorry, outside of Odessa, outside of Kermit. It's called Wink, Wink, Texas. Um, and my brother actually went to high school. He grew up out in West Texas too. Okay. And yeah. so the... the there's the drive, there's this entrepreneurial aspect. I always ask people this too, because we're talking to a lot of people that are in the industry, the bar industry. Did you feel, did you have that internal pressure or any kind of familiar pressure to go get a degree, to go walk that straight line, get the corporate job, which I, this is kind of foreshadowing for the career so far, but. I don't, I, mean, I don't think so. Obviously it was my self drive, right? I wanted to go to college. Um, and my mom was very honest. So, you know, she was like, I can't afford to send you to a four-year university. If you want to go, you need to get a scholarship. Um, so I got a full ride to Texas A&M. Um, that's how she treated us all our lives. Like, if you want something, you're going to have to go after it and get it. There's no mm-hmm. handouts. Um, and so then, you know, I did I did go into the corporate world. And she, she, like I said, back when she passed away, there was no talk about this. But I always had that yearning that there was something out there for me. Um and that I was, I was meant to do something more than just work for a firm, yeah. kind of doing the daily grind. But there was never any pressure to, you know, to, to do anything crazy like this. Yeah. You know, just Well, that, that's probably good because it's, it's already crazy enough of an idea to go out on one's own, you know, financially, yeah. creatively, emotionally. But when it comes down to where you were interested at A&M, did that vacillate a bit or did you always say, you know, either finance, cause I think it's in finance is your, your BA, but did it, did that shift? Was there a philosopher 
in Amelia's <laughs> mind at that point going to A&M? Um, uh, no, I, going to A&M, I went there because they gave me a full ride. Uh, um, yeah. And I, I loved A&M. It was so fun. I would go back in a heartbeat. It's just the kind of town that um, it just fosters this sense of inclusism, you know, and just like you feel like you're a part of it immediately. Um, and then even years later, when I was fundraising, I mean, a year ago, I started calling on my classmates and um I hate them with so <laughs> <laughs> It was a good, it was a good time. Yeah, good first, but you did, you know, let's talk about the 7-Eleven piece because that's kind of maybe the first intersection between the, the drinks market or at least beverages and then working with people that buy beverages. You were working with the acquisition piece of that. Tell me a little bit about your role with them. Yeah, so, so I'll back up a little bit before that. I majored in finance at AM and I, I really majored in finance. I didn't answer your previous question. I apologize. I'll answer it now. Um, I majored in finance because I wanted to make my money work for me. I wanted to learn how to, to, how to do that. And mm-hmm. um, I didn't want to pay interest. I wanted to make interest. So that was really the piece of finance. And coming out of college, I had an incredible opportunity to go work for a private equity firm in Dallas. Um, and I'd interned with the firm and then they gave me an offer to come back and work for them. And it was in working with them, we brought one of the nation's leading co-packers of functional beverages. And oh, wow. um, they co-packed for Monster and Red Bull under the same roof. And they were the only U.S. co-packer for Monster. So it was this unicorn company. Oh, wow. um, they had their own craft brand of beer. They, the reason, you know, Mike's Hard Lemonade is in uh-huh. those plastic bottles. The reason Mike's is in those bottles is because this company started putting their beer in those bottles to sell at the Carolina Panthers football games. Wow. Mike's Hard Lemonade found them and uh, said, hey, can you do this for us? And so that was my primary portfolio company. And I spent a lot of time out in, in, in their facilities helping really? them. Where are they located? North Carolina. North Carolina. So you were traveling yeah. quite a bit back and forth. Yes. Yep. Yep. Um, and I spent, I want to say like a year of my life back and forth out there. And it was, I was young, right? I was, I was pretty young out of college. Um, but I was, and I maybe didn't have, I didn't have enough experience to give my total input, but I was absorbing everything that I was learning about. And that is really where I fell in love with, beverages in general and just thought man this is so cool what is not fun about drinks <laughs> do you, are you pretty because one of the things absolutely but one creating spirits using spirits and vibing spirits that's all fun right so it's just yeah, yeah. this gift that keeps giving you know what's not fun about tequila <laughs> exactly but one of the things is that i really love the details of things how things are made but i can still can think both you know ten thousand of you but when it comes down to canning and that process how it how into the details were you? I was out there walking the floor. They had a couple high-speed canning lines. They had bottle lines. Um, at the time, they were trying to help a very big company put, you know, similar to Five Hour Energy. They had one of those lines. Oh, wow. um, so I got to be on. I could be as involved as I wanted to be. I mean, there was. I remember a meeting about sugar. Right, co-packers typically supply the sugar for their clients, and mm-hmm. sugar costs were just outrageous from all these energy drinks. And so we were going to sugar manufacturers trying to figure out how to integrate um, their sugar purchasing power into our plant. It was, I mean, it was the coolest experience wow. that that's I got. Great. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. super hands-on. Yeah. 
yeah, it was a lot of fun. And then from there, um, I moved over to Seven Eleven, and I and I went to work in their mergers and acquisitions group. Um, kind of leaning back into my M and A, or you know, my my finance background. Yeah. Um, and and I worked at Seven Eleven for five and a half years, and it was so cool too. I mean, it's a it's a top notch company. Really, they run a they run a tight ship. But some of the smartest people I've ever worked with work there. Um, and I spent a lot of time traveling the nation, uh, checking out convenience stores. You know, going in, counting ceiling tiles, and peeking into the bathrooms. Um, so that's where I got to see a lot of the different. You know, how do you merchandise a product? That's mm-hmm. where I really learned the the merchandise marketing side of things that I didn't have from schooling or the private equity firm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you're absolutely right. Well, the, the, the cool thing is, is that when you think about the roles at the moment, you don't necessarily think, well, I'm going to be using this skill set 10 years from now, but it always yeah. does. I always use the analogy of the karate kid. You know, <laughs> if, you, if you've seen the karate kid, some people have, some people haven't, but you know, Daniel son is mad because he's painting a fence. He doesn't understand that, Painting a fence will give him a skill set <laughs> sometime into the future, you know. But w- one thing that I, that I I've never actually had uh, mentioned this question to anybody, but you having went through capital raising and everything, I meet a lot of people who want to get into business and mobilize their their great idea, you know. And of course, the main grease to those wheels is capital, is money. And I never, yeah, I was never afraid of asking for money and there's a fear there's a fear there for a lot of people but you yeah. having to get and you working with money so you probably get all your PL, like all the things down pro performing everything but how was that first pitch where you had to ask someone for money whether you knew them or they're a stranger um you know it um i was prepared to do it um and i at by the time I got to the capital raising piece, I, I'd had, you know, luckily from working in this industry, I'd, I'd had a lot of great mentors. And so I didn't just go out to somebody random and ask for money. I'd been kind of, hey, mentor, I'm going to start raising money and I'm going to come ask you for money, kind of giving them a heads up leading into it yeah. um, to some people that I really respected. And um, the, <laughs> my first my first meeting it was terrible. I didn't, I, I, you know, I thought it was good, but I, I realized I needed to get into more of the flow and, and I started with a family member. So I knew that they would still love me. And then, <laughs> uh, yeah. Right. Um, but I went in, I went in thinking, um, everyone is going to tell me no. And so if I go in thinking that, then I don't need to worry. I don't need to be afraid to ask for money. They're going to tell me no. So I'm just going to, I'm going to tell them. But what I, what I did was, you know, when I would contact somebody and say, Hey, I want to tell you about what I'm doing. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm raising money and, um, I'm going to ask if you're interested in investing. So I was upfront about that before the meeting. Um, and I, and I probably too, I like to start with the hard things and go easier. And so I remember one of my first meetings was with a partner from, um, Bain the consulting firm. And I thought, man, if I'm going to meet with a tough investor, it's going to be a consultant from Bain. They are going to know how to ask the questions and dig deep. Right. Um, and so I, you know, called him up, he's going to tell me no. And I went in and met with him and he asked some really tough questions, but I knew the answers. Um, and I left that meeting thinking, 
that wasn't so bad. I can keep doing this. Um, and I, I knew it needed to be done. And I knew that I had a deep enough vision and that I could make it happen that I, I just got over being afraid of asking people for money. I mean, I had somebody say, uh, oh, oh, a top executive tell me, you don't be afraid to ask people for money. Men do it all the time and they're not embarrassed. And so I always thought that in my head, okay, I, I'm not going to be embarrassed. I need, you know, and I, and I came from that mindset too, of like people have capital that they want to put to work. Right. Um, and so if I just talk to enough people, they will find my investment worthy to invest in. It's, it's a great attitude and, and something because I have a, it was very timely. I had a friend who actually is up in Dallas. He's an author. He has a successful podcast and, and stuff like that. But he, he said, why do I feel like I'm an imposter? Right. So yeah. he, he had this imposter syndrome kind of feeling. And I, I looked at it as common. I'm like, you're delusional. What, why do you feel that way? Right? And because I just, I just operate. If I want to do something, I'm just going to do it. You know, and I, I know that's a, a result of privilege in certain respects. And I absolutely acknowledge that. But did, did you ever go through that where you felt like you shouldn't be in that room? You shouldn't be in this position that in fact you were suffering from imposter syndrome. No, I never thought that. And, and I'll tell you why, because I um, went to investors, people I'd worked for. Um, and so I have several people I used to work for that were my bosses that invested in this. And um, having that knowledge that I worked for them and they were willing to meet with me, I wasn't, they knew who I was. Um, I've been the same person you know, ever since I started working. Mm -hmm. And so I no, I never felt like an imposter. It felt like a dream at some, you know, some points of, yeah. like, is this really happening? And I'll tell you the it, it, fundraising was not easy. I, I mean, like I started fundraising at the end of January and was halfway to my goal by March 1st. Wow. And this um, is January of 19 or 18, 20, 20, 2020 this year or sorry, last yeah. year. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Last year. Right. So, um, January, you know, to March, I was halfway to my goal. And then the pandemic hit, the markets crashed. Yeah. I lost most of those soft commitments overnight, it felt like. Um, and I, and, and so I was just like, okay, God, what are you telling me? Should I stop or should I continue? And um, I had a good friend who's, who's an entrepreneur in Dallas. And I called him and I said, I just, I don't, I don't know who to talk to. I don't know. You know, like the world is crashing. And, and he said, Amelia, just keep going. The people that don't make it happen are the quitters. So I thought, okay. And he said, have you reached out to the, you know, your A&M network? And I said, no, I, sh I need to reach out to some classmates. And so I started reaching out to some new people. Um, and then, um, you know, I, fundraising, you said, I think you mentioned you haven't had to fundraise. No, I've had the fun. Oh, it's, oh. Not, it's not fun. Yeah. Uh, so you probably can experience this too. It's like pouring honey out of a jar, right? You go meet with a bunch of people and there's no honey flowing out of this jar. And then all of a sudden the honey just starts dumping out and you're like, whoa, what, what happened? <laughs> like, oh my God, that's way too much honey. Um, yeah. That was like so true. I, I would, you know, I went obviously COVID-19 didn't help and the pandemic didn't help, but um I started talking to people and the answer was no, no, no. And then I went and talked to somebody and, um, and uh, during this time I didn't lose all the money right away. People were having to back out 
mm-hmm. kind of over time. Um, and I met with, I met, I, I called one of my former bosses and just said, Hey, I'm starting this business. I'd love for you and your wife to invest. And he said over the phone, great, we'll give you X amount of money. And he was like, can we try the products? And I said, absolutely. When can I come over? I went over and met with them. And, uh, that, that next day I got a text from another investor and said, Hey, I know we committed X and we're going to have to back out. <sighs> okay. Yeah. Okay. What am I doing here? And then, um, I just thought I need a sign God, like I need a sign. And I got a text like an hour later from the man I, and his wife. And he said, Hey, Amelia, I know we said that we were going to give you X amount. And I thought, Oh, here's, here's my sign. Right. And he's like, but we loved your drinks. So we're going to double it. Oh, wow. I was like, Oh, okay. And he goes, and we have some good friends that we think would love this opportunity. Can we share this with them? And I thought at this point, yes, yes, please. Um, they shared it with them. And the next week I went and met with them and, um, they were like 20 minutes into the meeting. We love this. We're going to give you X amount of money, which was more than anybody else had given me at that point. Wow. I was like, dang, these people just met me. This is incredible. And then they said, Hey, we've got some other friends that would love to be a part of this deal. Can we tell them? Yes, please. And so then the next week I met with them and, and, you know, in a course of, of one week, I raised everything back plus was almost close to, close to meeting my goal. Um, and in the end, I, I, um, I ended up being oversubscribed. Oh, wow. I, I was talking to a couple of, uh, you know, advisors and I was like, Hey, I'm closing funding this week. I'm oversubscribed. Um, but I think it's worth it. I want to, you know, I'll, I'll take all this. And, and they were like, well, we don't want to miss out. Can we throw in X amount too? So then I was like, well, okay. Um, okay. So that it ended, I think I closed funding in July and, uh, ended oversubscribed and it, it was not easy. It, it was not painless. Um, but it was worth it yeah. to just keep going. I just always had in my mind, just keep going. You know, what's it's interesting is I, we're both surrounded by people in the industry, the hospitality industry, which unlike many other industries, if not the most has been affected financially, emotionally by quarantine and COVID and everything. But there is a balance to all of that distraught, all that sadness in a way. Right. And I've seen so many people still drive forward and succeed, you know, and I feel like there is really, really, a balance there, but to get on this path in the first place, what was that moment where you, you knew it was right to finally go your own way? Yeah. Um, so back, if you back up to early 2019, you know, think about white claw. People haven't really known about white claw until mid 2019, right? That's how quickly that took off. And, um, you know, obviously I had known about ranch waters, pretty much my whole life. Um, and I never thought people didn't know what they were. I just mm-hmm. thought, Oh, it's what we drink when we go out to Midland, you know, out to West Texas. Um, and we started noticing that in Dallas restaurants were putting ranch waters on their menu, which was like, this is awesome. Finally. And one day my neighbor texted and just said, Hey, I want to make this drink called a ranch water. Do you have any limes? And, uh, and so back up just a little, my husband and I just always kind of being entrepreneurial, we always said, we need to find a simple solution to a common problem. That is the key, right? Simple solution to a common problem. So my neighbor texted, do you have any limes? And, you know, I was like, 
out loud. I was like, no, I don't have any limes, but I love a ranch water. And my husband was sitting next to me and he was like, hmm, you think that there would already be a prepackaged ranch water like Bethany Frankel's Skinny Girl Margarita? Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, you think so? So I you know, quickly Googled it and um, I was like, but there's not one. And he stopped what he was doing and he turned to me and he goes, this is it. You're going to do it. This is your solution to a common problem. And I was like, okay, honey. And he's like, no, I'm serious. You you have all these foot footprints that you have created over your career. It's you're gonna do this. Um, and so that it was really his encouragement. I kind of say he saw the vision for me before I did. Yeah. And uh, then then we started the fun of tasting tequilas. <laughs> yeah. So tell me, you know, now now we're speaking my language, you know, as yeah. we get into the the booze piece of itself. But the first thing is that, you know, you have, is it four marks? I know that I have the ranch water here. I know that there's also vodka soda, which makes sense. There was, was it a margarita also? Yeah, we have a classic mark and a vodka soda with cranberry. Oh, um, and then we're launching a gin fizz in oh. the spring. We held, we held off on launching that one, which I, you have your own brand of gin, right? Yeah, yeah. Tell me, tell me so, about the gin fizz that you've got. Uh, okay, there's no egg whites in it. That's the, like the number one I, question I, I always yeah. get. Totally good with that, actually. Yeah. <laughs> in a canned product, doesn't work so well. Um, we actually formulated our own gin. And so going back to my marketing hat from 7-Eleven, you know, the ranch water was the baby. That's what started it all. But I knew, okay, the margarita, that's the number one cocktail in the U.S. Mm-hmm. I wanted to create a lineup of products that would appeal to an array of tastes. I didn't want to just be known as a ranch water company. Um, I wanted to create a brand that, that people would come to, even if they don't like tequilas, right? A lot of people I hear don't like tequila, and I'm sorry for them. Um and then a vodka soda with cranberry, I looked around and there wasn't one on the market. And that is what I drank in college and through my 20s, right? Yeah. Cranberry vodka soda. Um, so I thought, uh, this is a no-brainer. And then I was talking to some people, some distributors in the industry, and they said, you know, hey, we see that gin is going to start trending. And uh, I thought, well, I want to be on the right side of that trend, so let's do a gin. Uh, but through that research, I found that a lot of people don't like gin. Right. And I don't know. Do you, yeah. It's misunderstood, right? Oh, I just, you know, I'll tell you this. I'm, how I know we can be mates now is because <laughs> gin is a very special thing. And I recall the years of doing tastings and all that, and people said, I'm allergic to it. And in my head, I'm thinking, no, you're not. <laughs> there are no allergens in gin. You know, maybe cedar berries, but no one uses that kind of juniper. So the fact that you're that open-minded to what is a beautiful category of spirits makes me realize you're really about the category, not just about these single, what's called one hit wonders. Right. Right. And that's, that's exactly right. I wanted to be on trend, but then I also wanted to build something that was lasting. And with our gen though, we actually formulated our own gen. Um, because I, because people didn't don't like gin. That's what they say, right? And so I thought, what is it about gin that people don't really like? Is it too much juniper berry or not enough? And so we played with the juniper berry in our gin, mm-hmm. um, and and you know, like going back to I wanted to appeal to an array of tastes, right? And so, um, so in our gin, I in in all my tastings with investors, I would go in, and there would occasionally be the one that's like. Hey, I don't like gin. So if I make a face when I try your gin, don't be offended. I just don't like gin. 
they would try it and be like, where can I get a case of that? That is so good. That makes me change my mind. Um, and I had, I, I think through all of the flavors and what we spent the most time creating was, you know, I, I didn't want to create drinks that my friends would be embarrassed to know me for, right? Like, oh God, they're terrible. Like we can't, we can't even go hang out with them in public. Um, and so we spent a lot of time thinking about what, what our friends would like, but I had a sommelier try our products in an investor, mm -hmm. t an investor meeting. Um, right. What could go wrong? Having a sommelier try my lineup of canned cocktails. I was like, the list goes on and on. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I'm going to raise no money in this meeting. This is going to be terrible. Um, but after, you know, like after we got done, he held up, he held up the drinks and the gin in particular. And, and he said, um, the biggest compliment I like, I joke, this is the biggest compliment I ever received. He's like, there's nothing offensive about your drinks. And I was like, uh, just say more, please. in front of these <laughs> investors. And he was like, no, what I mean by that is that if you are looking to go out to the masses with a product, that's going to turn people on and it's going to be drinkable. You have hit it down the fairway. They sit clean on the tongue. There's no aftertaste. Even your gin tastes good. He was like, you knocked it out of the park. That's, I raised a lot of money in that meeting. <laughs> like, I, I can't imagine. And it's, you know what, this is exactly how I feel about the ranch water. I've been pretty outspoken, not online, but just when I, cause I, I do tastings or pick barrels or whatever. So I'm in the liquor stores ever so often and people buy it. And I give this one guy who, who keeps buying it. He's not, I'm not sure. There's one other brand out that I, I know we'll talk about kind of the proliferation of RTDs here in a second, but I'm just like, why why can't you just buy some tequila you know that's how I, and so now that i've tried this because it's been in my fridge i've been waiting to, to where we're gonna get a chance to talk inoffensive is too sterile a word i'm gonna say that you've really achieved balance here wow is perfect because it is crisp clean not everything's pretty much in tune the agave is not too peppery. I don't taste fuminess or acetone or any of that. The acidity is right. So whatever that is, as far as me and endorsing an RTD, which if you know me, I would never do, but I really, really <laughs> like it. So I'm, Thank I'm, you. I'm ecstatic to try the, the gin. I've got Oh, it. that's awesome. Because have you been to the UK ever? Um, oh, my mom was born in England, so I'm, half, oh. I'm actually half British. Yeah. Okay, well, that explains the gin. But you know what you do is you, not on the tube, but if you go take the, the train out into the country, into Leeds, wherever, at least my whole favorite thing is grabbing those Schweppes genetics in the can. Those things are yeah. so good. And so I just, I'm so glad that we'll finally be, now we want to have public transportation because Texas is bad about that, but at least I can stand at home and drink a gin and tonic more or less. I know it's a fizz, but yeah, I'm very excited about this. Oh, I'm glad to hear. Yeah. Um, I'm, we're excited to launch it. We, uh, uh, when I go places, you know, I didn't know if people would be receptive to it actually, yeah. but when I go places and people see our sales sheet, they're like, oh, you've got a gin and fizz. I'm like, yeah, that's <laughs> okay. Good to know. Yeah, yeah. Investing in gin always gives you cred, despite how people react to it. But I think that the economy to gin, I think it's warming up a lot too. But so it does bring raise a, a very, very interesting question. And not about the gin, but just RTDs in general. There is a proliferation 
I, I can't tell you how many people have contacted me to ask me how that process is. They don't want to work to create one. It seems like everybody's trying to do this at the exact same time. And how do you deal with or do you worry about what could be a very saturated market here? Um, that That's a really great question, Mike. Yes, the short answer is, of course, we worry about that. Um, but I'll tell you what's funny is that when I first met with one of my first advisors to tell him, hey, we're going to start Ranch Two Spirits. Um, we're going to do canned cocktails. He said, um, back in you know March of 2019, White Claw, truly nobody really knew or cared about him. Um, he was like, well, are you going to do it malt-based or are you going to do pure spirits? And I said, we're going to do spirits because I want it to be a cocktail. And he was like, great, because uh, the malt-based industry is already too saturated, right? Little did we know what, what Mike's Hard Lemonade and Truly would do for the market. Um, and so, first of all, I think that RTD cocktails, spirit-based cocktails, are an emerging segment of the market. Mm-hmm. People historically haven't done them because the tax on them, where you know, the TTB tax is high for spirits. And we have to pay basically the tax on the water that's in the can too. Um, so they're a little bit of unfairly taxed. So people haven't typically done them. Um, and so do I think there will be new entrants? Of course I do. Um, I, I, I would be fooling myself if I didn't think that. So the goal is then how do you build a company with that in mind? Um, to outpace those, right? Um, and I think about, you know, Michael Phelps at the, his last Olympics and that race, I can't remember the swimmer's name, but the swimmer the whole time is worried about Michael Phelps. And at the very end, Michael Phelps, you know, flies past him and the caption is, you know, winners focus on winners, losers focus on winners. Yeah. And so I always tell, you know, my team, hey, we're winners, we're gonna focus on winning. There will be entrance competition, that's just the American way, but there's room for everyone. And we need to focus on putting out products that people will come back for over and over. It's yeah. I think that I'm not sure where people get their paradigms about running businesses. You know, it's probably this amalgam of our parents, parents, peers, all of that. But I like myopic eyes on the prize (laughs) strategy. You know, people are going to try to take you out, but if you, to your point, if you focus on every little threat, then you will never truly have the, the clarity to keep moving forward. You know? Totally. And I don't know what runs, and I asked this question on Facebook the other day because maybe you get an answer from me, but this is not a controversial thing, but I, I asked my friends, I said, where does ambition come from? Is it genetic? Is it a strange mutation in the wiring of our neurons? You know, and I don't have an answer for that because my mom, amazingly hardworking, but she never, she wanted a family above everything else. And I never met my dad. So I'm not really sure how he, how he is, but for you, do you think that, do you ever wonder what, where does this come from? What is my, pro- <laughs> what is my problem? I am, gosh, you know, I, uh, I'm pretty spiritual. And so I, I just think, we're all designed so differently and we all bring different gifts to the table. Um, I, I, I have siblings and they, you know, some of them are happy not being ambitious, but others are. So I don't know. Is it a question of birth order? Maybe I don't, are you the first born, second yeah. born? Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. 
Um, I don't know, people, there's tons of books on it. I don't know. I just think everyone's wired so differently. And some of my best friends are so different than me. Um, my husband, very different. He, we're similar in a lot of ways, but he's so different and that's what makes us work. And, and, uh, you know, he sees things I don't see and I'm, I, I'm one, I'm very happy to be out there and, um, fundraising, asking for money, whereas he doesn't feel comfortable with that. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and, I, don't, I, don't yeah, it's a, it's, I just don't know. It's a philosophical yeah. question in perpetuity. I don't think there actually is potentially an answer, but I, I, I have seen, so talking about husband, wife team, wife, husband team, however you would like to phrase it. And I've seen it work really, really well. And I've seen it end in many, many divorces too. So that dynamic working with your husband, I like that you said you guys are looking at different pieces of the same puzzle, but is that ever caused stress or strain on the core relationship? No. And so I'll tell you, my husband still works full time. Oh. Um, he's, he's in oil and gas. Um, he wants to come work for ranch too. It's so bad. And um, I tell him not yet, honey. Uh, so he's not really involved in the day-to-day -day activities of the business. He's more of my, you know, an advisor and kind of, He's the one that encouraged me to do this. And um, he obviously likes to help formulate the drinks. Yeah. Um, it, uh, that's interesting you asked that because I remember when we were writing the uh, company agreement, the attorney asked us, uh, there's certain provisions you can put in in the event that you get divorced. Shall I do that? And we both just said no. Like, no, we're not going to set the company up so that if we get divorced, we'll each have a piece right and and i think we did that just because once you start setting the company up like that you open some doors that you don't want to go to um but I'll, I'll tell you like we built a house a couple years ago and everyone said oh you're going to want to kill your spouse like you're going to fight and we had the best time doing that he sees different things that i don't we of course we fought you know about certain things i typically won um but but no, I don't, I don't like, I'm not worried about a divorce because yeah. I think that we, we've known each other for a long time. We were friends before we were married and, um, we have a lot of people in our lives that kind of lean into us and, and, you know, we talk all the time about like staying to true to who we are, um, not letting, you remember when we were first launching Forbes wrote an article about us and they featured me and my husband said like is that exciting for you do you like to see that and I thought I, I said to him no I don't ever want to get excited about stuff like that because I don't want to lean into that high of um I don't I don't know the word word for it but that high that's not where I want to get my high from right okay yeah because it's kind of it that one is an, an ego stimulator yeah. if you will right. yeah. and so that I, I like that though that you're saying that your true fulfillment doesn't come from you being the figurehead of the company or getting coverage or press. It's probably more about the achievements themselves. Right. Seeing the products on the shelves. That was like, so exciting for us. Um, when our family, like the, they launched in it randomly in Houston, the downtown specs, the oh, famous nice. specs. Um, my sister-in-law was there to buy it. And when she got to the aisle, one of my investors was already buying it. And she, she doesn't know who our investors are. And she was like, 
hey give me that he was like buying everything and he and he was like no these are mine and she's like yeah but that's my that's my family like give me the product and he's like but i i'm an investor and she's like oh okay never mind um and so yeah yeah it's, i mean it's it's good these are kinds of the, the fruits of your labor, this gin fizz yeah. coming out. What was kind of, so yeah, I love that you tweaked the gin. That makes a lot of sense. So many different styles of gin too. But I mean, yeah. just keep me honest. A fizz is ultimately just fizz. So some soda or club so, soda, some citrus, a little sweetener in gin. Is that roughly how you approached it? Yeah, we have a, a little bit of lime in ours. Yeah, I think that would be oof, really nice. So when is that, <laughs> when's that hitting again? <laughs> uh, we're targeting spring. That's cool. Is yeah. it talking about process just a little bit? And I won't dive into it too much because the tequila thing can be often difficult. But do you have to work with a distillery as well, or do the co-packers procure the spirits as well? So when we so before we worked with a flavor house to formulate our products because mm-hmm. I wanted to make sure that they were balanced, shelf stable, can stable. Um, and it's weird, Mike. I've learned that a lot of people in this industry don't work with a formulator they kind of do it themselves uh-huh. um which is interesting i'm not a chemist and so i i'm a finance person i knew I, I didn't need to be formulating our drinks but when we started looking for flavor houses to formulate for us our first question was can you get bulk tequila and if the answer was yes can you send us samples of that tequila because we want to formulate with a tequila that you can procure and so the flavor house we found had three different tequilas um, and we ended up going with one of their top tequilas and um, even at, like the margarita, typically people will put a less quality margar- uh, tequila in a margarita because yeah. they can hide it with the sweeteners and stuff. And so after we formulated it and I got the case cost back, I was like, all right, let's maybe we can use the cheaper tequila. And so they formulated it for us using that cheaper tequila. And my husband and I both instantly were like, Nope, that is not something we want to put on the market. So we spend more money on that better tequila, um, to get that clean flavor. But, uh, but I will say we started the base of our products from the, the formulators procured tequila because that's tequila. You're more of an expert than me, but it's very hard to get a bulk tequila um tequila in general is very hard to, yeah. to get super regulated um, and all of that yes yeah yeah so that's where we start so we have a co-packer um but they purchase the tequila or i guess we purchase it from our flavor house and then ship it and is it a it's a blanco uh yes yeah it's it's good, it's, it's good. like i said it, it fits really really balanced in the drink so I got a couple other questions for you here. Nothing too challenging, but do you, do you ever plan on working with some darker spirits? Is there any whiskey in the mind of yours? Let me tell you, one of my favorite drinks ever is an old fashioned. Mm. Um, and I grew up in college also drinking uh, Jack and Coke. <laughs> oh, yeah. So I love whiskey. I love bourbons. Um, I love to go into the liquor stores and talk to the liquor owners. Sometimes I'm not even talking about my products. I just want to know what bourbons they have. <laughs> I'm like, oh wait, I forgot. I need to tell you about my business now. Um, with a darker whiskey though, whis- uh, tequila is expensive, but bourbon or whiskey are just even more expensive. So while in my heart, I would love to do something with a whiskey. 
Um, I just don't think it makes sense financially. We'd have to charge more money for the products. And I don't think that the market's there yet for consumers to want to pay that. Yeah, I think you're probably... Also, yeah, also these drinks are, are more thought of to be kind of spring, summertime drinks, fall, not really your winter and bourbons, whiskeys are more of your winters. Um, so would I personally buy a, a old fashioned to take out on the boat? Probably not. I'd probably go with the ranch water or the vodka soda or the cranberry, you know, the margarita. Yeah. But um, yeah, I mean, that, that, it definitely makes sense. You know, it just, yeah. it's a cool world and to have spirit based this opens up a little bit of, uh, I, I think I'm becoming more accepting of the category if it's not malt based, because malt is, it is what it is. Uh, and, and too, it's frustrating, you know, as a consumer, I didn't really understand the difference, right? In Texas, drinks you can buy at a grocery store, convenience store, those don't have spirits in them. You can only buy spirits in Texas at a liquor store. I never probably put that together as a consumer. Now as a business owner of spirits, I am acutely aware of that. Um, and it's frustrating because people will say, oh, I found this margarita at Target. It's so good. I'm like, well, that doesn't even have tequila in it. Or I found this ranch water at the grocery store. It's got agave in it. And I'm like, that's not tequila. That's okay. agave flavor. Um, you're not drinking a real ranch water. So that that stuff is is frustrating from like, you, there's some customer education that has to happen. I, listen, I don't have a cross to burn. I can't educate every customer on it, but it is frustrating that there, it, it seems like there's a penalty for spirits, which goes back to prohibition, oh, right? Um, yeah. They've they relax so much on beer and wine and uh, it seems like spirits are still just stuck back. We shall see. Things are changing with yeah. the PT tax and all that for us smaller yeah. producers. So that's some progress, you know? Yeah. So I've got one last question for you. And this is hopefully didn't keep catch you off guard. Probably not. But so you, let's say you're anywhere in the world and you're sipping one of your ranch waters, your, your baby, with anybody living or deceased, who would you love yeah. just to sit and have a chat with? Oh my gosh. Um, that is so good. Oh man. Oh, I'm, this is my first response, but I think it's probably just because I've been on a huge Hamilton kick, but uh. probably Alexander Hamilton. Yeah. He, he, I mean, think about his story. He, he, from what I've heard from Hamilton, um, he was basically orphaned and he came to America and he did some pretty big things. He was very resilient and uh, probably got a bunch of cool stories to share and some advice to give. And you know, all those classic Congress guys can drink a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I think we can rest assured that that would be a good and very fruitful lively pick i think that's great well you know it's been good chatting about the products finally sipping it with you you know i, I like waiting and kind of because I, I don't have to lie you know what i mean i can say what yeah. i want but I, I really like this it's it's, it's i don't want to change my mind but amelia you got me kind of changed my mind on the red <laughs> water a little bit which well, hey it's a it's okay if you only like our canned cocktails so you far like ranch or canned cartels. so far that's it but <laughs> <laughs> but we'll, we'll, see, we'll see when this gin, gin fizzes out. 
but it's been yeah. great chatting with you and you're up in Dallas. I'm sure we'll run into each other at some point and grab a bourbon. Yeah, that would be, I'd love that. What's your favorite bourbon? Oh, it's just shifts. It, it really does shift stylistically. But if I'm in a hotel room on a work trip, Wild Turkey 101 is always a go-to. Okay. You know, so there's, there's, it just changes, but yeah. that is the complexity of life in this industry, I'd say. So, yeah, so, for sure. So good getting to meet you and chat you. And Amelia, we'll talk soon, yeah? Cheers. Guys, so good to talk to you too, Mike. Cheers. Well, there we have it, Amelia Latiri, founder of Ranch Two of Spirits. Tomorrow, April 11th, Sunday, is National Ranch Water Day. Whether I guess you're getting a cocktail at your favorite bar or drinking an RTD, it is something that has been debated hotly recently as to where it all began. But you know what? It began in Texas. I guess that's good enough for me. Amelia has a great story. Very, very driven. These opportunities that led into other opportunities, just keeping yourself open because you have a vision or a dream. These are things that are pretty inspiring about now. And I want to say, you know, we're getting so close to things kind of opening up more and more. And I hope soon I will have the opportunity to sit down in person with folks here and record for sound quality purposes and intimacy as well. So thanks, everybody, for listening to Show to V with Mike G. No matter if you're watching Lost Boys again, it was Long time since you saw it last. Your parents probably shouldn't let you rent that in the 80s. Or if you're thinking, I'm not sure how this new Apple Shredder is going to work out, please keep dancing.